Oh, another wonderful day here at Southern Studios. Looking forward to hearing a wonderful pitch from our, our talented writers. Just waiting for the elevator to come back down to floor number one. Wait, I'm sitting next to you. This is why you ride the elevator? <laughs> I, every day, uh, uh, an emerging writer comes up to me, CEO of Southern Studios, and says, a wonderful idea oh. for a movie. Sir, sir, I'm glad I made it. Sir. Oh, come on in the elevator, son. Oh, oh you've, you've already oh. had a couple hit pictures. Come on in here, son. Oh. Right to the top. Hello, my name is Stanley Kubrick, and mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm out of breath because I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> overweight. Yes, yeah, Yo, Stanley, you're you partly, are a little big. It would ooh, be nice if you yeah. dropped a few pounds. We're not <laughs> fat shaming you, Stanley, but I heard that uh, you're going to do a lot of heavy breathing into the ooh. microphone during this movie. Sir, sir, have you, have you ever had acid? It's um, new. It's new on the scene. I, I can't. I can't say I have. Okay. So. Well, have this coffee. I brought two coffees. You okay. take one. Okay. Now, what does this acid do, son? It's going to take you on the trip of my movie with, before I make it. Okay. Well, normally how we do procedures here is you tell me the story, and then I. There is no story, sir. It's just mm-hmm. monkeys, bones. The band, the band, the monkeys are very popular now. Oh, I love Monkey Bone. <laughs> Question, Stanley. You were uh, born and raised in New York, right? What? You I'm on acid. In the Bronx. <laughs> I'm on so much acid. I do need my morning coffee, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a drink of this. Welcome back to the Cable Boys, the internet's only podcast about movies. That's right, Justin. We are just three little monkey bones who like to talk about movies from our childhood that were inappropriate for one reason or another. Like 1968's sci-fi masterpiece, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Wow. What a film. Yeah. Master and peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, and we are so, so fortunate, so pleased, uh, so honored to be joined by co-host of a podcast of his own right, a uh, man who passed the bar, a gentleman who is both an improviser and a person who is well-skilled at telling people to stop doing improv uh, by means of lights and sound. <laughs> Doug Leaf, everybody. Mm-hmm. There he Hello. Is. Hey, Doug, nice has, a, has, has a lawyer ever raised the bar? Has anyone ever done so well? They're like, oh, you've raised the bar. Uh, well, we had Clarence Darrow, who kind of pulled that off. Very famous lawyer. Uh, maybe like Thurgood Marshall, and then everybody else just lowered it. Wait, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. about it. I like to think our audience is like cheering uh, with that first lawyer's name. They're just like, oh, fuck yeah, he's my fave. Uh, when like some uh, shitty lawyer like passes the bar, do you guys say like, 
Well, I guess somebody lowered the bar again. Huh. Well, I, I imagine. I mean, absolutely. Lowered that, like, no, that, that lowered the bar for <laughs> horror <laughs> jokes. Yeah. yeah. I think. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I definitely would... run into people and gone like, oh, Jesus, how did you make it past? There's, there's, this test is for a reason. It's to screen people out. Also, is but, it standardized like, across the state, the bar? Half of it. Uh, part part of it is is for the entire United States, and then the the rest of it is for your particular state where the law might be slightly different. So it might be easier in another state, is what you're saying? Yeah, because you need to get you need oh, to yeah. get a license for each state, right? Yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah. Because my brother, my brother is a lawyer, which is yeah. Fun. Certain certain states have agreements with each other to like let you know you, if you pass in Delaware, maybe you can like lateral over to Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's different everywhere. Wow. Well, that was Law Boys. There you go. Uh, <laughs> that was Law Corner. <laughs> now let's well, talk about some monkeys and spikes. Well, we, oh, we, we need a Law and Order drop. Yeah. That's, well, that would have been <laughs> good. Dun, dun. Let, let me start off by saying, Doug, thank you so much for suggesting this movie. I've never seen this movie. It's just one of those classics that's always passed me by for whatever reason. Uh, and uh, yeah, Mike, <laughs> I have watched a lot of these movies on like a 1.5 speech because they're <laughs> a fucking slog to get through. Uh, this it was this movie ended and I was like, holy shit! How am I now, just now seeing my favorite movie of all time? Oh, wow. good! Oh, wow! Okay. For the See, holy movie, smokes! Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry for the listeners at home. I was going to end uh, my friendship with Justin if you watch this at <laughs> 1.5 speed. I'd never found it yeah. boring. I mean, it. The, I mean, my uh, critique of the movie is I think the movie suffers from having a plot. You know, like, I would have just enjoyed two and a half hours of space images that the uh, classical music. You yeah, know, like. it is a cilantro movie, and that like you know you either really like this movie or it's this is not for you. It, it's not even. It's almost hard to call it a movie because yeah, it breaks so many rules. Yeah, it's a fucking. I don't know what you would call it of conventional movie. Yeah, this is. I'm taking it on its own yeah. term. I saw this movie for the first time when I was four. I, oh, I don't four. know what to do about that. Four. four. Yeah. Four. Were you hovering above Earth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, uh, my dad was a, is a, a scientist by education. He's got a PhD in chemical engineering. And he instilled in me from like the age of three a love of science, in particular astronomy. Like, he, like astronomy blew my mind. Uh, I loved me some Carl Sagan as a kid. Um, and so it, for him, it was like a short walk to go like, well, you like space, don't you? Well, <laughs> here's this. And wrap your head kid, around this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a kid. Yeah. I watched this a bunch. I watched 2010. It's sequel a lot more as a kid. Um, not obviously 2010 is not the better movie, but it is a movie. Um, and which mm-hmm. is more understandable as such. It's definitely one. more classified as a movie yeah. than yeah. 2001, for sure. And as a kid, I was dumb because I liked 2010 more because its depiction of Jupiter was uh, accurate based on huh? uh, images of uh, from like the Voyager spacecraft. We knew what, what Jupiter and its moons looked like up close. So for me, mm-hmm. that was cool tourism. And I was like, eh, you know, 2001, not so much Jupiter. I'm less interested. Yeah, they—they, um, they, I, I gotta say, my biggest problem with the movie is they did not nail the red spot. They did not <laughs> nail yeah. the red storm that has been going. It was the one thing we knew, right? 
I actually like it better now um, because of that. Like, because as the movie starts, space is sort of this place that's tame. You know, we've got, you know, uh, stewardesses and stuff and like jet travel to the moon. And it's really, you know, um, not dangerous in any way. And then the farther the movie pushes out into space, the more you're going like into the beyond. So this sort of like dreamy image of Jupiter, not as it actually is, but like as this like doorway to the rest of the cosmos works much better. I think it's one of my favorite parts of that movie. now. Yeah. The movie's an, a visualization of <clears throat> taking a gummy. Yeah, like, it's, a, it's an acid trip. I mean, an literally, acid trip. Yeah. like it literally you start off and then it, you start to melt into it. You're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, I mean, we can maybe this will jump ahead a little bit. But, you know, to better explain what it's like to have a psychedelic trip is to think of those monoliths, which is like. You know, um, you know, each monolith is sort of like an, uh, a step, the next step for in evolution. For humans so it, we open with the donna man they don't know how to use tools they're they're terrified of leopards they're eating like ants and then one day they wake up and there's a monolith and they go over and they touch it and they figure it out and it gives them the information it gives them like you need to use tools like there's such a great next scene of that monkey like looking at those bones being like wait a minute <laughs> you know like i can hit somebody with this thing you know and that's our next step, which is like they become meat eaters. They become they be able to use tools, which tools are then led to fighting in a way like war and turf wars and stuff like that. And uh, but you get to like the I'm trying to find it. You get to like the third monolith just to jump way ahead, literally like the movie does. When they have to dis dismantle how. They're essentially like destroying their own creation and the, you're destroying your own ego in a way and then you are sent to the next monolith which is peace and that is like how great acid trips are which are they, they call it like killing your ego and that's how you by the way this photo behind me the audience won't be able to see it but this isn't live this is from years ago i took a uh mushroom trip that was pretty intense and when I woke up the next morning, laying in bed, there was my Apple computer just staring at me. And I was like, that really looks like a monolith. Wow. Yeah. Big black screen. Mm -hmm. I, I was I was just going to ask you why your background is just what you're uh, looking at right now. Yeah. It's just your your background is basically just a reverse angle yeah. for mm -hmm. for your room. Yeah. Uh, cool lava lamp, though. I, yeah, I, I, mean, be I believe that you were tripping because there's <laughs> there's definitely a lava lamp in the background. So, Justin, I'm kind of curious, since this, since uh, out of all of us, you're the only one who was seeing it for the first time. What did you know about this going in? Like, what were your expectations? Well, the, well that's what's funny, like? too. It's like this movie's influenced so many movies post it that it feels so familiar. Uh, I mean, I only know, like, I only knew, like, the general gist of, like, oh, it starts with, like, uh, the the monkeys like throwing the bone and i didn't realize that scene was like 17 minutes long right like, i thought it was like just like very quick in the beginning and then it jumps to that so that was very interesting um and great and then i also didn't like i honestly didn't know really what the story was all i knew was like hell 9000 is an evil robot who like they have to fight against so that's basically the the plot of the movie kind of too mm -hmm. um 
So I knew that, but like, I didn't know anything about like the beginning of like this, like guy flying there on these like airliner spaceships and like, just like this satire of like the Hilton spaceship and like Mm -hmm. the Howard Johnson shit. I was like, fuck, that's so brilliant. And just like all Mm -hmm. the little, all the little things like the fucking space food, like all that. So I had no idea of any of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I had seen some of like the, or I I should say, I, I knew the imagery of like the guy running, doing like his laps and, um, you know, like some of those things, but like I, since I've never watched, I didn't know what was really going on, which was yeah. kind of amazing. Also, like the, you know, to jump to the end where there's like the, you know, Victorian rooms or whatever they are. Or I don't know what you, mm-hmm. you call them, like Baroque. I for I knew those images and I totally forgot about it until they came on. I was like, oh yeah, we're those are part of this movie. <laughs> Again, those are like the and what they're famous for, but it's like literally like five minutes of the movie is like that part, which is weird. Well, it's it's really interesting just because this is the one movie that you can just kind of piece together imagery wise because uh the the film is very much show don't tell. It it like just takes you along for the ride and it is a mismatch uh, or a mishmash of just like these uh these gorgeous set pieces and like taking you into the world one uh one image at a time. And so like you never seen the movie, but seeing the iconic photography from it, you kind of had a like you have the yeah. same sense uh, <laughs> without watching it. You yeah. kind of you could piece it together. Well, that's the, the movie is like, I mean, I, I mean, this as a compliment. It's like a beautiful screensaver, you know, like your screensavers yeah. that just flow in and out of each other. You're like, yeah, that's why I was like, I don't need the dialogue. I don't need a story. The story is yeah. the weakest part of the fucking movie. Of like, yeah, it's it's irrelevant. I mean, yeah, it's I, uh, I mean, for twenty minutes there, it's it's like a ballet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. with the music and the way uh-huh. that things are moving in the screen. Yeah. Like it's it's really it's really amazing. I mean, a lot, a lot, we watched it last night pretty late, and every time I watch it, I'm like, I think this is the the, the greatest movie ever made. Like in terms of like cinema of yes. like what what you can do with the uh, art form. Like this is the best example. Yeah, it's hard to think of a movie that's more ambitious than this in terms of not only just the the look of it and like how incredible it is as a, a piece of art put together, but what it's about. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd look at a movie like Tim Burton's Batman and say something like, "Well, Gotham City is like a character in this movie." And mm-hmm. for this, it's like, yeah, the entire past, present, and future of the human species <laughs> yeah. is a character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this movie is like a 10-second sting of orchestra music is a character. Yeah. I mean, yeah. imagine being like, oh, I'm going to start the movie. Like, the opening credits are just going to be, like, my name and then the movie and then that, like, that music. Mm-hmm. And be like, motherfucker, that's what that's how I'm starting this thing. Yeah, you're <laughs> starting this thing with a piece of music that is called also Sprock Zarathustra, which is basically like thus <clears throat> spoke God. Yeah. And it's <laughs> it, that's what it sounds yeah. like. It's just yeah. this, you know, it's just <clears throat> these like three notes and then another two notes that like the second you hear it, you know, like that's this movie. Like we are coming to you with something that is like a religious experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I it's think incredible. They, yeah. I, and I and I'm so not only am I glad to hear uh, one, Justin uh, watched it at normal speed, um, <laughs> two, liked it uh, and didn't find it boring. Because I, I, I did kind of, I was also afraid you might be like, this was boring. And I think like I can never be bored in a movie when I know that the director 
has planned everything. Like literally like every little detail. He's like, this is what I want. And like, I can never be bored like that. Well, that's, I, I, I think that's one of the things that put me off seeing it for so long is people saying it was boring. Like there's a lot of like, Mm -hmm. well, this movie's boring. And they're not totally wrong. I mean, there's a long stretch where like, (laughs) it's slow. You hit hit the, yeah, you hit the, I get it button pretty quick before the scene's over. Like, yeah, yeah. He got it. He has to go out there and replace the thing on the antenna. Why is this taking so long? But you could also go in the other direction, go like, Hey man, I, this is 1968 and I'm watching a man, do a spacewalk halfway to Jupiter. Like, don't shortchange me on that. That's, <laughs> right. that's yeah. fucking amazing. Right. I think you know, there's, right? I, I think as a general audience, like, I think with us and like other, I, I'm not saying like, you can't not be a, like a creative or a filmmaker or something to not really get it. But I think as people who are in the arts and like are creative, that's why I was so fascinated by it. Cause I was just like, holy fucking shit. This is 1968. It's not like, this is a ma- this was a major movie. This think, is a movie like families would go see. Like it was that's also, crazy to me. But just this like is, everything, the the sets, like it was the biggest hit of 1968. It won the best picture, right? No, no, it didn't no. It, Kubrick, it won. Kubrick. It won for visual effects. Yeah, what won that year then? Which who fucking knows? Oh, oh I it heard was, it too. I it think was it something was, that was like, wasn't it Gandhi? Was it no Gandhi's no, like eighty one, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I forget. Sorry, what it was. I, I was thinking about the. Picture, the... It's, it's shocking. Oh, was it? Wait, was God. it Midnight Cowboy? No, it's something God. even less deserving. It's yeah. It's some... <laughs> Gandhi oh, beat in the heat, of, and we did that also this week. Yeah, I mean, who wants to watch that? Um, yeah, I mean, Kubrick never won anything. He never mm-hmm. won a best director. He never won. A... Well, he did accept the visual effects award. Uh, mm-hmm. And that actually led to uh, people in visual effects being pissed off that the director took the award and but they he... like tightened up yeah. the restrictions. But I, I'm going to guess that he probably had a hand in so much of it that he probably was like, I'm going to I'm going to do it. There's there's a famous story of uh, on Spartacus. Two famous Stanley Kubrick stories on Spartacus. He had a cinematographer and the guy stunk and and wouldn't do what he wanted so he was like you know what why don't you just go sit over there and stanley kubrick was the dp on spartacus yeah that that guy who just sat and watched him do everything won the oscar so that might that might play a little part into that but then again he was he was a very good boy when he went over and sat in the corner and (laughs) watched stanley do his thing so he, he he sat that guy down and was like i'll show you how to do this and then then the, my other favorite Kubrick story, or one of them, is um, when he was shooting Eyes Wide Shut, Tom Cruise invited Paul Thomas Anderson to the set because Paul Thomas Anderson was trying to get Cruise to do Magnolia. Hmm. And so they're on the set of this, that house, uh, the Cruise household. And Paul Thomas Anderson was like, there was nobody there. And he's like, I'm being led to set by, by uh, T- Tom Cruise. Not even a PA. Tom Cruise is literally bringing him to set. And he sees Stanley Kubrick and three other people on set and they're lining up a shot. And Paul Thomas Anderson's like looking around and he goes, where's the rest of your crew? And Stanley Kubrick like had like looked from the eyepiece and was like, how many people do you need? Like he did everything like minimal, like. He, he truly was like, that's the other amazing thing about this is like almost how 
handmade this movie is mm-hmm. like this is all this guy mm-hmm. yeah. even like the even like the story that it's based on is boring it's like not a very well-written story yeah it's based on a short story by arthur c clark who, uh, who collaborated with mm-hmm. kubrick on this the movie and the book that actually the book of 2001 released like a couple of months after the movie right. did oh, wow. um, but the sentinel is a short story um one of many that of clark's that was given to kubrick to look over for inspiration and it's about people digging up an extraterrestrial extraterrestrial artifact on the moon. And it's sort of a, uh, it imparts wisdom to them. And it's also simultaneously, I think kind of a burglar alarm to say like, mm-hmm. uh Oh, the humans got this far. Yeah. Um, have you, you read can it, definitely Doug? see that. I have not. I've, I, I okay. have read, I've read parts of the book of 2001, yeah. which are okay. Um, it's, it's hard to duplicate, you know, so, so much about this movie that works to me is this is basically a Lovecraftian horror story with yeah. a happy ending. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so much about what Lovecraft is, is all this like it's inscrutable. It's incomprehensible. You know, you can't understand it. And so this movie gets across that feeling, especially in that last third yeah. of, you know, th- this is what is it's like to experience a Lovecraftian event. Um, so that doesn't come through in the story. The other problem with the book is it's very literal yeah. in terms of, like he tries to explain in the book, he gives you an, an explicit explanation as to why Hal becomes homicidal. And right. the movie, I think, wisely leaves that open to interpretation because it's not important why. It's important right. that he does it, but not why. Um, it, it's, like, it's, it's the equivalent, because I, I remember reading it years and years ago. It's the equivalent of seeing a magic trick and then somebody being like, okay, so what he did was mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. just be like, oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's funny, too. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like I, I never read it or read it or watched this movie before, and like I said, I only knew I was like Hal Nine Thousand goes bad, like that's the thing. <laughs> Watching me, I was like, he kind of has a point. Like he doesn't really, <laughs> he, he like I feel like Hal Nine Thousand is a very uh, maligned in history now <laughs> than the actual movie. He's, yeah, we owe we owe him an apology. Yeah, he got canceled yeah. far too early. <laughs> I uh, I really like uh, Hal's portrayal. I think you know Douglas Rain, who does the voice, is perfect in mm-hmm. that it's so it's restrained, but it's also the most emotional character we get for the most part in the movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, yeah. The yeah, all of the all of yeah. the astronauts are just like speaking in this clipped, non affected manner, and mm-hmm. like the the biggest pull on the heartstrings is uh, when he's like shutting down. He's like, <laughs> I'm I'm like losing my mind. I can feel it. I can feel it. Daisy, Daisy. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It uh, it's it's so tough to watch, and like he's <laughs> he was about to murder <laughs> the last member of the crew. <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, he, the the canonical explanation, if you buy the book, or also it's given in in the sequel in 2010, it's that there's a logic bomb problem that mm-hmm. Hal is instructed uh, not to distort information. He talks about that. He's never distorts information, but he's been simultaneously told you can't reveal anything about the monolith until they get to Jupiter. So he has to lie to them and not lie to them. And so the solution is, well, if they're dead, I don't have to lie to them. Um, which, I mean, <laughs> it's a plausible. Solved. It, it's plausible, but it doesn't, I think the mystery is better. There, I like leaving it to like, maybe there's a narcissism angle mm-hmm. because he talks about I'm perfect. And then the, mm-hmm. what they realize is, of course, he's got that he's made an error in diagnosing their antenna. But if you watch it, there's actually an earlier error, which I would never have detected if I wasn't told about it. But during the chess game between him and Frank Poole, yes. he, he basically tells you, tells Frank Poole, 
the game is already you've already lost it. Here's how I'm going to win. You know, you might as well concede. But if you're actually watching the board, he does. Frank does have moves left. He's not actually mm. um, his victory is not. Uh, so maybe maybe that's not a mistake. Not maybe he's in that's not a mistake. That's a, not, yeah, that's not a mistake. That's a, no. Kubrick I mean, was maybe, a chess fanatic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, yeah. He was like a world class player. But I'm yeah. saying maybe how I, I've heard that before too, Doug. And I, I always thought maybe how is intimidating him. Like he like how's not possible. wrong, but how was like, hey bitch, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, you know, just to scare him a little bit, because yeah. like you said, he is a narcissist. It almost mm-hmm. seems more in in line with that than a narcissist might be. Like, I got all the moves. You can't uh, you can't beat me, <laughs> you know. As opposed to being wrong, who's also like, I had a million people at my inaugural. <laughs> you know, so who knows? Maybe both the right. Oh man, there, were, there was also a funny bit uh, about that specifically the computer playing chess because like the computer on set that they had was not obviously not as advanced as a HAL 9000 from the future. Uh, But since Kubrick was a great chess player, he would routinely uh, beat the computer and then he would call him a bumbling piss wit, which is, (laughs) I mean, Kubrick is such a genius. Uh, So, So genius. He's such a genius that like, can you come up with a better thing to call a computer than a bumbling piss with? Yeah. You can't. You can't do it. It's the perfect instance. Which, again, he's from New York, and that sounds like such a British, uh, <laughs> yeah. like like insult. I mean, he. I mean, I'm I'm obsessed with Kubrick. I'm just uh, have been for my whole life almost. And one thing that I think that's amazing about him, he won. He's an amazing photographer. I don't know if you guys know that, but from an early age, he. Uh, had a camera and was hired by Life magazine at like 14 or 15 or something and was taking amazing photographs for them. And he did that for years. But uh, one thing I love about him, and I think it's a great lesson for people, is about failing and how failure is is important for an artist. His first two movies, which are entitled Fear and Desire and Killer's Kiss, are awful Mm. i mean terrible they're i mean even technically terrible like uh fear and desire like he hadn't figured out the 180 so characters are constantly looking at like (laughs) different places like you're just like it's it's like a student film and he he forever tried to get them taken out of circulation but he took it took him two movies it took him failing at two movies to be and you could just you know, he just like watched him over and over again. Be like, what the fuck did I do wrong? Did, and figured it out. And then was great. Ever, ever, every movie after that. I, it's interesting that you said that he was a photographer from a young age because so much of this movie lives in, in the shot composition. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. The, the first, like the first time you see the, the discovery, it's the, the ship they're taking to Jupiter. It's that like hero shot of it, just filling the screen and looking incredible and big um, and you know, it's like, it's very similar to say like the first time you see that star destroyer in star Wars, right. As it mm-hmm. passes yeah. over the screen, it's huge. The next time you see the discovery, it's tiny. Yeah, it's so small. Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like barely there in the, in this like enormous frame. And you see a couple of asteroids go by to like, remind you like, no, no, we are now very far into the inky blackness of the void. And every shot in this movie you like you hear that like every frame of painting, but like that is this movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, I think it's time for our first segment. We don't normally do it this way, but I'm gonna come. <laughs> 
what is uh, what is the shot? In I, this I was going to say I was not expecting the beat off. Yeah, this, right. Uh, I was like, did you see some ape titty? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, funny enough, we almost did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've uh, heard in the, this story. In the original design uh, of the the ape the ape people, uh, they were going to be like more human, uh, but Kubrick couldn't figure out how to get around an X rating <laughs> and like make it still seem natural, uh, but like just have dongs and titties flying everywhere. Every time I, am, I yeah. oh, I'm so real quick, Nick. I'm so sorry. I, but every time I watch that opening, I have to remind myself that those are people in ape costumes. That uh-huh. shit looks so good. Oh, you really? I see it. I, I think it looks good, but there's a couple scenes where you could see the mask, like the eyes. A little bit, a little bit, but it's sure. it's better than Planet of the Apes, which, which would, is the which, same year. I yeah, think. the same year. Yeah. And it was it's always hailed as like this landmark, um, you know, makeup thing. And obviously they're different movies, but. Yeah, no, occasionally, it, occasionally around the eyes, I'm like, oh, I, uh-huh. there's there's Peter. Yeah, yeah I had heard a story uh, that apparently Kubrick at one point wanted to try and get the ape suits to lactate so they, oh. they could uh, feed the baby, like make it more realistic. And uh, he, could, he couldn't get it to work. What a nut. <laughs> Thank God. Or like a, oh, a wow. two second scene, like a two second cutaway. <laughs> Probably like a month of work of like, get the ape titties, the ape titties working at. Kubrick, the, the greatest lesson might be just just ask, just keep saying, like, yeah. what else can we do? Until yeah. they say, like, no, you can't have lactating ape tits. Well, when he, uh, uh, Arthur Clark actually said in an earlier, uh, in one of his interviews, like at the beginning when they were just creating the story, uh, uh, Kubrick said to him, if you can, if you can write it, I can shoot it. So, like, he, he is definitely of the opinion that just, like, yeah, if you have a creative idea, we'll figure it out. Yeah, which is almost true. Um, there was one weird change between the uh, uh, the movie and the book. In the book, they're on a trip to Saturn, uh, not oh, Jupiter. Oh, right. Yeah. And I was like, why? Why did they change that? It seems like such a like random thing. Like, who cares what planet it is? Um, and it turned out like they, the special effects people, like as good as they were, they just couldn't get the rings of Saturn to look right. So they they changed it to Jupiter in the movie. Didn't so, didn't they go everywhere. back in uh, 2010 though? In 2020, well, what's funny is when he wrote the the book 2010, they said, well, nobody read 2001. They all saw the movie. So in the book 2010, it's Jupiter as it is in the movie. They oh, okay. stuck with that. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it weird that it's 2001 and 2010 and we're now living in 2021? Yeah. I had thought that we're past a lot of movies that I grew up with that took place in the future. Like, the, like Blade Runners in 2019. So mm-hmm. is The Running Man. Like, it's like, oh. Yeah, we, we got past. All we're not of that far and, from the Running Man. Yeah. I mean, like we got yeah. close to that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're close. <laughs> we're closer to that than anything. But I yeah. just like this is 2001 is 20 years ago, and uh, I don't know. It's just weird. But I don't think of like I don't think of them being in 2001. Like I just don't really think of it. A still title. feels like the future. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. you yeah. could have made it 20, 20, you know, 2061, which was the third book. Actually, you could have you could have said it then. It wouldn't matter. It still feels like the future, regardless of whatever year they slap on it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to the beat off. Uh, what yes, is beat-off. what is the shot in the movie uh, that for for you as a movie going audience oh. is is the climax? What is the sexiest shot from your perspective as a cinema goer? And I know it's tough to pick. It's tough to pick. There there are a lot of big choices. There's a lot of inventive lighting. Uh, maybe maybe it's it's uh, something confusing, like like the shot where uh, he's he's jogging. 
he's jogging upside down. You're like, how how did he do that? Yeah. You might you might you might be a yoga. There's so many. Uh, <laughs> that fucking first, not before that, pre that, when they're on the ship and the the stewardess goes to uh, take the food to like the the captain's room or like and does a full circle and then goes to the other door was fucking awesome. Like yeah, yeah, it was so so fucking cool. The scene that got me hard, like but for, like <laughs> they make me come, but the scene that got me hard. Was the uh, the cocktease too? Well, yeah, the cocktease was when uh, they go to see the monolith the first time, and it's all red. Limon? Yeah, and it's all red, and like I was just like, "Holy shit!" This fucking set l- looks so fucking amazing. <laughs> like everything looks so yeah. fucking good, and I was like, "And it's all real. It's like all like either models or like matte painting, but it's cool." And it, that was like blew my fucking mind. Blew my mind. Do you have one post? Um, I think I got to go with. I do like that moon one when they come across the monolith. That's pretty amazing. But I, I, I think I would have to go with um, him sitting at the table at the end. Bowman at the end, hmm. just in that room. There, there's something so tranquil about it. And yeah. that room is crazy. And it's like, is this what heaven's like or the afterlife or w- whatever? When your molecules uh start spinning out of orbit i don't know it's it's just so, it's so amazing and of course he might be in a human zoo uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> who knows? i still can't I, for, get over yeah. that this was mass entertainment i'm sorry i'm sorry Doug. yeah, yeah. oh no, you're right it is it's yeah. like it's a big budget art film you know it, it absolutely is for me the shot that like it means it encapsulates the movie the best is really any of the shots where they show kind of like the monolith and and uh heavenly bodies aligning so like when you at the beginning oh, yeah. you see the monolith and the the sun and the crescent mm-hmm. moon or when they do it at jupiter they kind of yeah. repeat that mm-hmm. or on the moon those to me those shots kind of like are this movie that's you know mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. the it's kubrick again saying like this movie is about our place in the cosmos like that it's mm-hmm. not about human beings it's it's this like you know and maybe it's just the geometric regularity of that but there's something so pow- powerful about it as a statement um, that th- those are the shots that I just kind of go like, yeah, that's that's this movie in in one frame. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. I've, I've always been a, a moon landing truther, but this movie made me go like, <laughs> well, maybe he did it. Maybe he did film this all. It's uh, you know, here's the thing, and I, I may sound crazy here, and I'll I'll state for right up the top, I believe we landed on the moon. Hey, I really, I really how about do. that? Good. Yeah, I really do. But I think it's possible that a lot of that imagery that we saw was staged i think a lot of like photographs and 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 things like because like you're who was shooting it well that's what i'm saying so you're giving astronauts what photography and cinematography lessons they're in space they've got well the footage wasn't that great they didn't like frame it. There, there's some things if you look at it you're like oh that's interesting like it's almost too per i mean the 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 guy with the American flag. The other reason why I think it could be staged is not because they couldn't do it, but the space race was so important. It was so important that we beat the Russians. It's always the Russians. <laughs> we beat the yeah. Russians that, you know, this is the first time going up. Who knows what the fuck happens with film? I mean, we, you know, you go through the airport with a, a cartridge of film and you're like, I don't know, maybe our vacation to Cancun might not 
come out. So imagine going into space with that. I think you, I think there had to be a contingency plan to be like, Hey, what if Buzz Aldrin is like, uh, Hey, who's got the camera and drops it. And we lose all that stuff that you had to have that stuff there. That I'm not saying I, I, I believe this hundred percent, but I'm saying I could see that scenario play out. I could see them being like, Hey, we have to have proof that we did this. You know, we have to have shots. We have to gloat, you know? So you, yeah. so you think that we did go to the moon? Hundred percent. That that part is not yeah. a controversy. Hundred percent. Yeah. But you just think the footage was a little bit doctored and maybe prepped ahead of time just in case. I do think I do think that's possible. I'm not saying I believe that. I'm saying it's I I would if I was in charge I probably would do that. I would probably like let's just have it doesn't take any money really to shoot this shit. You know, bring Stanley Kubrick in, do whatever you know, and just be like. Fingers crossed we can actually get real footage. Yeah, the the only argument against it is this movie looks so good, but if Stanley Kubrick did do it, it would have looked way better. <laughs> yeah. No, but somebody, no, but somebody who could, who does it that good also knows how to, how to scale fake it. it back. Yes, yeah, yeah. Man, though those like uh one once we get past the monolith and we just go to space, those opening shots, like uh every time I watch it, I have to remind myself that it's not real. Yeah. That's crazy. how that's how good it looks. Yeah, it's uh, it's a mind blow. <laughs> also, There's just like, not, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say like how Star Wars just ripped off like all of their fucking like imagery of like a ship coming in slowly. Uh-huh. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, f-, and it's ten years before that, and it looks ten times better. Right. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, it's inc- it's really incredible how good it looks, especially when you, like I said, it's nineteen sixty eight. Nothing from this era of movie making holds up was. No. I think, in terms of the visuals and and like you said justin even star wars which comes along 10 years later and holds up pretty well um still doesn't quite match 2001 um maybe because it's trying to do a lot you have a lot more like stuff whizzing past and you know moving parts yeah. to it but i think um, the real yeah. the real genius of this movie is like when you're taking such a big swing towards the future uh, some of those swings are going to immediately look outdated. And so uh, Kubrick's genius is more in his restraint than anything mm. else. Mm. Because like originally the monolith was going to be like uh, like a tetrahedron. It was going to be like a, a prism or like uh, just like see through. Glass or something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and they were they were actually going to project onto the glass uh, basically like teaching teaching the ape like, hey, fucking bone hit yeah. hit somebody with it uh and yeah like they were originally going to have a representation of the supernatural aliens and they just couldn't they couldn't get it to look right and so they didn't do it yeah. they didn't supposedly, like yeah supposedly they talked to carl sagan about that and he had told them don't show the aliens it's more powerful you show what they left behind and you know that'll be more interesting than whatever you could show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I I read <laughs> I read a similar thing where Carl Sagan was like, "Hey, you know, they called me in. I talked to him, and I was just like, uh, you know, we the thing about super intelligence is we can't even comprehend it. So I wouldn't bother showing it." And then he went to the premiere, and he was like, "I did my work. They listened to me." <laughs> when yeah. in actuality, Booyah. they. 
Booyah, out. <laughs> they were they were making little clay aliens, and they were like, "This looks like shit." Like he he didn't even remember talking to Carl Sagan. He was like too busy uh, yeah. doing like two hundred and five special Sa- effects. Sagan shots. Sagan just walked in and just smashed all the clay aliens. He's like, <laughs> "Motherfuckers, what are you doing?" Uh, by the way, that restraint that Kubrick has, I think, lends to my he could have easily faked that space that moon footage. Yeah, yeah, like he would have known how to do it. Um, the, I, I do want to also point out that is as great as this movie is, and I think it might be one of the greatest of all times. It's so good that it inspired another one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Oh, which Airplane is, two. What, what? Which one? Airplane two. Yeah, I still, I still haven't seen Airplane two. <laughs> Maybe I have. It's the par- It's just a parody of this. Mm. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. No, it's the it's the Russian film Solaris. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it is. It's it's a, an amazing movie, mm-hmm. and and it has the most devastating ending I've ever seen in a movie. I remember I saw it on the big screen, and I was just like blown away. But it, re- but the the movie is a direct response to two thousand one because Tarkovsky, Andrei Tarkovsky, the director, hated two thousand one. He hated it. Hated it. Was like this is bullshit. He's like, look how clean it is. Look how it's all fucking nonsense. And the and in his movie, which is again the the kind of the Yang to. The yin is uh, uh, one of the greatest in its own right. I'm so impressed, Post, that you brought up, uh, yeah, this uh, inspired another movie, and it wasn't a porn parody. <laughs> so <laughs> you've, you've come a long way. Thanks. I'm not fucking around with Kubrick. I, uh... <laughs> I, I read about... By the way, uh, I'm so sorry, Kevin, but I don't want to lose this thought. Kubrick wanted to make a porn movie, by the way. He did. He made he, Eyes Wide Shut. He, he got made Eyes, Eyes Wide Shut originally was going to be a hardcore f- film. He was fascinated by it in the 70s. Damn. By the way, he had the rights to the book that Eyes Wide Shut is based off in the 70s. It took him 27 years to finally be like, all right, I'll make it. Um, but yeah, it was gonna, originally going to be a, like a hardcore sex movie and Steve Martin was going to be in it and the like Steve Martin was like, oh no, no, no. Steve Martin was like, I, I, I am. <laughs> and then he wanted Woody, yeah. a- he wanted Woody Allen to be in it, and it was gonna be like a sex comedy. And Woody Allen was like, I'll, I'll do that. And <laughs> he never got around to that. And then <laughs> finally made Eyes Wide Shut. Well, there is a connection. There is a connection to Woody Allen to this movie, which is when Woody Allen made Sleeper, mm-hmm. um, which takes place in the future. There's a computer at the end, voiced by Douglas Rain, doing his yeah. Hal shtick again. Hilarious movie. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I read a little bit about um, about that opening scene. We've already talked about it. The how convincing the monkeys are. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, the main monkey uh, was uh, performed by a mime, uh, Daniel Richter, and he had a whole mime troupe in London. And uh, Kubrick was basically sick of like these movie monkeys and he wanted it to be real. And so Daniel Richter uh, took his little mime troupe uh, and he choreographed the whole thing, uh, specifically going to the London Zoo and just like studying them and like and watching their movements and choreographing it. I didn't realize that uh, London Zoo at the time had a famous gorilla. Oh, Hmm. Uh, they had a celebrity gorilla named Guy the Gorilla. Hmm. Uh, Guy, uh, when he came to the zoo, it was on the 5th of November, Guy Fox Day. And so that's where the name originated from. Uh, apparently, Guy was captured in the French Cameroons uh, and then was traded for a tiger to the Calcutta Zoo. <clears throat> 
he was very gentle. Uh, uh, birds would, uh, would land on him and he would sort of hold them. Uh, and uh, he died of a heart attack during an operation on his infected teeth. And the tooth uh. decay had been caused uh, by visitors giving him candy. And that has been sad, <laughs> sad. sad time. Sad, oh, sad boy. I thought the sad times would go to the taper. Because um, <laughs> I didn't know. Cause, so you see that shot, uh-huh. right? Of, like this taper hitting the ground. You're like, how do they get the taper to do that? And the answer was it was already dead. And what had happened was they, they filmed a lot of those scenes with, with the apes on a set that was elevated, like 10 or 12 mm. feet in the air. And the taper had somehow accidentally fallen off and died. They said, well, what are we going to do with this dead taper? And Kubrick said, like, put it in the fridge. We're going <laughs> to use it. And that's what they did is they just dropped this taper you know, into, into frame for that. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's like a mom or like a dad who's like, it's still good. We can still use it. It's still no, it's, it's it's more like he doesn't give a fuck. It's yeah. like whatever's best for the movie. Yeah, like yeah. it's the, the my other favorite thing about Kubrick is that documentary or the, the behind the scenes of The Shining. It cold motherfucker, man. Like there's just such yeah. a there's a famous segment where Shelley Duvall is just smoking cigarettes in the, in the set kitchen, just like clearly fried. And she's just like, I don't know. He just constantly wants takes. He wants take after take after take. And she's like, look, look. She's like, my hair's falling out. My hair's falling out. And like a baller, Kubrick just walks through the set. Doesn't even stop. Just walks through the set and goes, "No, nobody feel bad for Shelly. <laughs> just like, nobody, don't, don't pay any oh, attention gosh. to her. Don't be nice to her. But and he would cancel him today. But I mean, it's like. No, you kind of had to do that. You kind of had to get her in that position to make the movie great. Yeah, he had to ruin her uh, psychology for a little bit. She had to, <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes yeah. you you got to send people to therapy if you you, you yeah. got to break a couple eggs. Uh, we're there, we're chefs in this business. There's a lot of happy accidents, I think, that sort of went into this movie in terms of like, oh, iconic things that just happened by accident. The one I heard about that was the most kind of like the Shelley Duvall thing in a way was so there's that scene where Kira DeLay, uh, Dave Bowman has to make his way back into the discovery by blowing the door off of his pod, mm-hmm. you know, in the vacuum of space. And he goes flying towards the camera and the way they did it was they shot it vertically. So he's just falling, uh, you know, and he's got a, some sort of a rope attached to his suit that is being held on the other end by this guy. And th- I guess the guy whose job it was to hold the rope didn't do so hot. So in that first take, like he just falls and uh, smashes against the wall. So it looks awesome in the movie, but it's a complete yeah. error. And I, I, I guess he didn't get hurt too badly, but he all uh, uh, a rough. stunt a stunt man almost died too. When uh, on that trick or a different shot? A uh, different shot. It's it's when he's like floating out in space, and it uh, they they had uh, oxygen being pumped into his suit. Uh, but there was nothing in the suit to expel the carbon dioxide. Oh. And oh, God. so, yeah. And so he like started feeling nauseous. Uh, he like couldn't breathe. Uh, he, he had heightened heart rate, rapid breathing, fatigue, clumsiness. And then like he passed out 
And uh, they couldn't tell because he was just playing like a lifeless floating thing. And Kubrick was like, no, leave him up there. Keep. And they were like, we think something's wrong. And so, yeah, they had to revive him. And then Kubrick just like took off for a couple days. <laughs> he didn't, he wow. didn't report back to set. He was like, uh, talk to the assistant director. Well, yeah, I have to go attend a, a gorilla funeral. So, oh, also, just because you mentioned the gorilla, the uh, <laughs> the mime also uh, went on to work and live with John Lennon and Yoko Ono, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, he directed the photography for their Imagine video. But yeah, mm-hmm. this this guy was a pro mime. He stole the show as a monkey, and then he was like, "Hey, John, hey Yoko." Can we be flatmates? <laughs> well, Lennon famously loved this movie. He said he saw it every week. Yeah, for... I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah, lots of lots of big fans of this movie, except for... Uh, who was the guy? <laughs> Does anyone know? Oh, Tartakovsky? 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 No, uh, Rock, Rock Hudson. He walked, oh, yeah. he walked out of the L.A. premiere, and he was like, what, what's this bullshit? <laughs> Can well, somebody explain this? I mean, I, I always try and put these things into context. And, mm-hmm. and like Justin said, like this has been parodied and diced up and, 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 and analyzed. And we've seen almost the entire movie in chunks and pieces and stuff. And I really just try to think like, what would it have been like if you saw this in 1968 on opening day? I mean, you never you would have had no context for anything that's going on. That had to be so fucking wild. Well, yeah. it's like it blew my mind and it's fucking 2021 <laughs> you yeah know, like <clears throat> but to see something I, like yeah. brand new like that like like what 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 like i'm trying to think like what you would have saw like the week before you're like oh let's go well, see fucking fu- herbie and the love herbie and love bug or something oliver oliver won this year that's what won that's what uh, it was. Yeah. oliver yeah. and so Just like that's what people were into but... yeah but people are like yeah i want to see a musical <laughs> hey. i mean the oscars always get it wrong it's so funny oh, now yeah. that we are hold it to such weird yeah. it's like like Shakespeare yeah. and Lover were saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Are you high? But yeah, a lot of people were, uh, their minds were blown. They were very confused. And really what saved this movie is drugs. Yeah. Because like the uh, the audience that went, they were like, holy shit. If you drop acid uh, when the monkey yelps, uh, <laughs> the third monkey yelp, uh, you're you're going to have, have a perfect trip at the right time. Have you guys, uh, uh, so much that they changed uh, the slogan on the, poster to the ultimate trip they were just oh, wow. like no no one's seen this art house film unless they're on drugs so let <laughs> let's force feed it to them yeah. uh yeah have you guys have you guys ever watched uh the final sequence uh synced up to um to echoes the tw- i haven't i just heard no. about that i've never actually tried it I, i've tried it yeah i realized in watching this movie uh <laughs> for this podcast that i have seen it so many times and uh very few times have i seen it uh with the actual soundtrack and or dialogue mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. i i i uh i don't want to paint too much of a story but i used to live in a downtown loft uh with mm-hmm. a guy who sold weed and so we would watch a lot of movies uh with records playing and yeah i've seen this uh so many times with different music synced up uh, I, I watched I watched Echoes, uh, Pink Floyd's classic, uh, twenty three minute uh, song, and uh, it it syncs up great. The, those hippies, they know what they're doing. Yeah. I, we haven't really talked about the music in this movie too much, but I mean, it's it's a very big part of it. Not just that 
uh, the Strauss, the Blue Danube sequence, but that's piece. It's called, I think, something like uh, Requiem for Mezzo-Soprano, the, the choral yeah. thing that comes oh, up whenever yeah. you see the monologue, the monolith. Um, that's the scariest fucking piece of music yeah. I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Um, so much, I, I heard this story was that apparently, so the piece was not composed for the movie like everything was earlier, but there was, so they were performing it in Europe somewhere and the and the conductor had to call uh, the composer, a guy named Ligeti, say, you have to come down here and help because the choir is too scared to perform it. <laughs> you had to like talk them through it. Yeah, it's terrified. Do they God, do God, you're fucking he's so good? Do they do this so like, at the, like at the Hollywood Bowl or something like that? Do they ever? Yeah, do, they like, they did. I think once, like a full like that would be awesome to see. Just like Maybe I don't want that song playing like <laughs> like you know when you're high in the Hollywood full, Bowl and just like, like a full chorus <laughs> of people just. <laughs> uh, Justin, is there? I'm trying to think. Is there any Kubrick movie left you haven't seen? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen any of his like early ones like those. But he he doesn't even want you to see the first two. But well, um, I haven't even. I don't think I've seen like the killing. The killing's great. Yeah, it's so good. I I really like the killing. And if you went once you watch it, you're gonna be like, oh, this is uh, Reservoir Dogs. Like he took he took so much from it. Yeah, I'm trying to see what um, Barry Lyndon. I've never seen. One one of my favorite. I because I'm I'm asking because we we did Clockwork Orange, um, in another life and. Uh, I think we ranked them, ranked our favorites or tried to. Yeah. And I, I, I completely blanked on Barry Lyndon, but that's that's what up there with for me. Yeah, I've never seen Spartacus or Lolita or Great. House of Glory. Well, just a heads up for everyone. Lolita and Barry Lyndon are on HBO Max. Oh, and they're, hey, they're so good. Go. They're, and they're both very funny. Like Barry, uh, Lolita, like Peter Sellers is in it. He's hilarious. Barry Lyndon's very funny. You won't, you might not catch it on the first viewing, but if you watch it and it's a long movie, but if you watch it again, it's kind of a hilarious movie. Barry Lyndon's the one that's all uh, natural lighting, right? It's like candles and daytime yeah, lighting. Cause like, he, he, he used NASA lenses. Yeah. That could go that low. That could open up. <laughs> Although what's funny about 2001 uh, is I've seen uh, clockwork orange, probably the most out of all his movies, like a ton of times mm-hmm. and just being like, Oh yeah. Like, there's so many similarities of like when Alex is like beating some like that whole sequence is mm-hmm. so the monkey in slow motion mm-hmm. with like the stick, uh, which I thought was really funny. Well, he almost ended this movie with the star child um, blowing up a bunch of satellites in space, mm-hmm. which he ended up not doing because that was the end to his previous movie, Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, but that, another masterpiece. Yeah. Another in one. fact, the, uh, the, the jump cut from the bone to what everyone thinks is a spaceship is actually uh, like the nuclear uh, satellites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that element remains in the book too, of 2001, mm-hmm. that th- this uh, nuclear angle. Um, and I think it thematically, it does work. And that you're talking about not just that, like man invents things, but invents tools and weapons. And it kind of brings the weapon thing home. But I think he's right to end it on the more hopeful, ambiguous note of like, well, this is whatever is next for, for the human species. And yeah. the best is yet to come. You know, that's that's what he's kind of telling you. So <clears throat> I, I like that better. Can we talk about the main guy that Kier uh, Delay? Kier, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing this movie is so weird is like nobody's famous from it. You know, uh-huh. like mm-hmm. like I've always seen like his face, you know, like that close up of like and when he's going through the stuff like in the spacesuit. 
And I was always like, wait, Ed Harris is in this fucking movie? Like, <laughs> yeah. He can't be. He's too young. Or he'd be too young to be in that movie. You're thinking of Knight Riders. Yeah, I'm thinking of Knight Riders. Yeah. But I'm like, the fact that this dude didn't go on to do like anything of significance past this is kind of crazy. Yeah, he reprises the role in, in 2010. That's the only other thing I can think of that he's in. Well, he's um, in tons of stuff. His his IMDb is populated yeah. just yeah, just popping. because like so so many people were fans of this movie. They were like, "Fuck, we can get him. He's still not famous." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it serves the movie that the get the people in it aren't famous. I think it would be distracting. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. feel like yeah. real real people. Um, and I do think he gives an incredible performance. Like, I think Hal is probably the the most you know the one people like. But that scene of him right after he goes through the stargate and he's just like shaking in that pod after what he's been through mm-hmm. uh, i think that's incredibly effective yeah yeah I, uh, I will say there is one to me one star in the movie um it's the guy what i can't remember his name he's he's the doctor the it sounds like a a russian hey. doctor um when they meet when they meet in the orange chairs and he's oh, trying uh, to get- uh, almost ralph fines yeah. yeah, his name is yeah. uh, Leonard uh, R- Rosatier. R- let me look. But he he's in uh, one of my favorite. When I was growing up, I had a weird obsession with British sitcoms, and I used to watch them all the time when they were on PBS. And he was in a great one called "The Fall and Rise of Reginald Pirin," uh, about a a guy who had like a terrible ad exec job or something. And he always daydreams, and it's very like a British sex comedy. And then at some point he fakes his own death. I mean, it's just, it's a really funny sitcom and it's all on YouTube, by the way. But uh, that guy to me is a star. Well, uh, a lot of people do like Hal. Uh, Did you guys read that originally uh, Hal was going to be called Athena and it was going to be a a lady, a lady voice? Hmm. Hmm. I feel like that really would have changed the character. Um, You, you You can get a hint of it if you watch 2010 there is a female version of Hal in the early, uh, one of the earliest scenes in the movie um, called Sal. And, and I don't know who she's voiced by, but it's, if you, it's the perfect same thing. It's a very like even tempered voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it works. Uh, there was also a funny story. Like, so originally uh, Douglas rain was not the uh, initial choice. They tried out uh, Nigel Davenport and Martin Balsam uh, and like halfway through, they just like they took him out and they had a uh, they had one of the assistant directors just like cold reading the lines. So the actors would have uh, something to go off of. But he had a super thick Cockney accent. So lines <laughs> like uh, better take a stress pill, Dave, was like, better take a straight pill, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they tried a lot of people. They tried Jerry Lewis. He's like, uh-huh. hey, Dave, hey, Dave, take a stress pill. <laughs> Oh, I'm stressed. Yeah. They John Wayne was yeah. brought in. He's like, listen here, astronaut. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> listen here, astronaut. And, uh, Carol Channing, who was just like, "Ask me, how five thousand That's a, why did they do that for SNL? That's a funny. Uh, bring that in. That that feels like that's a that's a joke in uh in the Simpsons parody of it where yeah. like so sort, many sort of in in the same in the same way that like uh you can change uh the voice of your Google Maps or like yeah. Siri <laughs> you could do different versions. 
They, yeah, the Simpsons has parodied this thing so many times. Yeah. Um, there's my favorite one was when I just noticed recently is, uh, in the episode uh, Springfield with a dollar sign. That's the one where uh, uh, Burns uh, puts a casino in Springfield and he has that like he, Howard Hughes decline and he goes Funniest. crazy. Yeah, it's so funny. But I finally noticed the room that Burns is in yeah. is like oh, the hotel yeah. room at the yeah. end of the movie. Yeah, we, we've yeah. I feel like we've referenced that that episode and that scene before I told you it's one of my favorite examples Mm -hmm. of a Simpsons joke, which is he wants, he misses the the nuclear power plant. He wants to go back to it. He kicks off the, the tissue boxes and he looks at Smithers and he's like, come on, let's go. We can take the spruce moose. And he holds up that (laughs) model and Smithers is like, uh, and he cocks that gun. He's like, I said, hop in. (laughs) And then they're just there. They cut away. (laughs) That's great. Fucking brilliant, man. Just brilliant. Uh, Another thing about Hal that's semi-interesting, speaking back to, like, restraint uh, and and, uh, things getting outdated quickly, originally the robot was going to be mobile. Uh, the the Hal robot was going to be like uh, a Rosie the robot type, just like uh, sort of sort of chugging chugging around the place, and it just having having that all seen eye is just so haunting. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, if you just had a C three PO just bumbling around, like actually strangling people, I I feel like yeah. the uh, and an, a, another lesson then is like don't just go with the first idea. Yeah. Yeah. Brainstorm yeah, I, a little bit. Again, I not watching the movie. I didn't realize how it was just a a sentient computer. Uh-huh. You know, like I, for some reason I thought like he was kind of like a like a Dalek or something like that. You know, like a just kind of like or what's the one from Lost in Space? Like that kind of Robbie thing. the Robot, Danger, Danger. Danger. Robinson. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Kevin, maybe you're you're going to say this soon, but um, another thing this the people caught on to and they were like oh is kubrick saying something about now and where we're going is that how is one letter off each one from ibm mm. yeah i heard that too and i thought it was interesting that uh, kubrick was apparently either he didn't do that intentionally or he tried to downplay it because ibm had done him a big solid they supplied a lot of the equipment that you mm-hmm. see in the movie they didn't mm-hmm. want to like associate ibm with a homicidal computer so <laughs> he, he did a lot to like you know, so no, no, it was that wasn't why we named it Hal. It's heuristic algorithmic something nine thousand. That's where yeah. it comes from. Yeah, I think after uh, somebody pointed it out, and they were like, "If we knew that, we definitely would have changed the name." No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think he did any. I don't think anything just happened. No, I think, he, I think <laughs> it's like, I mean, that documentary is not very good. That two thirty seven or whatever, mm-hmm. but there are definitely some things where it's like, oh yeah, he definitely meant to put all the cans or the food logos with the native americans mm-hmm. in the shot and all that stuff yeah it's brilliant he's fucking so good he he, he was the best it's crazy it is very yeah. very crazy i think about hal in this movie and i kind of thought that i'd love to see the version of this movie where hal succeeds he kills david bowman <laughs> and he's the one to have the final encounter with the monolith that you know he's the next phase of evolution and I, I would love to see what kubrick would have done like just what does that alternate ending even look like yeah that um, that's that's a fascinating idea also just because the so so when i when i was watching it uh i started i was trying to i was trying to decipher sort of before i like read a bunch of theories about 
about uh, the meaning. But I was like, okay, so the monkeys, like the the monolith is like telling the monkeys to be violent. And I know that like the uh, the monolith is like now sending a radio signal to Jupiter. And since they're going to Jupiter, maybe like the radio signal is like beaming into Hal. And so that's like making Hal go violent. Uh, but then uh, but then I realized I was just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's not a wrong interpretation. I mean they get the, the the movie thankfully does not tell you yeah why Hal does what yeah. he does. I I um, love that uh Kubrick gives you a chance to be stupid. He's like I'm yeah. not going to tell you what it is. Go ahead and come up with a harebrained idea. Mm-hmm. And then when you say it, say it to him he's like no you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sa- he famously said something like, you know, if you saw the Mona Lisa and at the bottom of it, Leonardo da Vinci had written, by the way, she's smiling like this because she has rotten teeth. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, would that make the Mona Lisa a better painting? No, oh. it would. You know, it would take away from it. The and, rotten teeth. Uh, you know. Rest in peace, guy gorilla. What um, <laughs> to go back all the way to the beginning of this episode when Kevin said, you know, this is show, don't tell. I I forgot. I, I have the script on uh, in, in a, the file in my uh computer how many pages do you think (laughs) how many pages do you think the script is that's a Uh, can't be a lot 30 okay we got 30 i was gonna say maybe 45 pages 30 45 kev one dollar bob oh damn it damn it 65 pages wow it doesn't even have a dialogue until page nine but it's not like it's so crazy. And at the end, the last like f- uh, three pages is a narrator just telling you what happened. Yeah, like that. The, that's never in in the movie. Yeah, that that's another interesting point. Is that uh, all of Kubrick's films before this had voiceover, and so mm-hmm. initially he started. They started writing voiceover, and then realized that like th- that that wasn't right for this picture. Like he, he just wanted people to, to sit in a mood and, and just like have it wash over them. Yeah. Should we head to reviews? Do we have anything else? Does anybody we, have anything else? We've been going a good minute. Yep. Go for it. All right. Let's go to reviews. Roger Ebert gave this film four stars. He loved it. Roger writes, only a few films are transcendent and work upon our minds and imaginations like music or prayer or a vast belittling landscape. Most movies are about characters with a goal in mind who obtain it after difficulties, either comic or dramatic. 2001 A Space Odyssey is not about a goal, but about a quest, a need. It does not hook its effects on specific plot points, nor does it ask us to identify with Dave Bowman or any other character? It says to us, we became men when we learned to think. Our minds have given us the tools to understand where we live and who we are. Now it is time to move on to the next step, to know that we live not on a planet, but among the stars, and that we are not flesh, but intelligence. Beautiful. Beautiful, Raji, baby. Absolutely beautiful. And I got to say, this next segment is really what I've been waiting for yeah, this whole yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a critic. 
Agent Cooper writes, One star. No idea why this is so famous. Slow, plotting, and dull. This was made for some hippie stoners on LSD. <laughs> just, yeah. just, a few ra- <laughs> just a few random vignettes of unrelated topics thrown together with some pretty decent graphics of outer space. No real plot. No real hidden meaning. Not deep. Uh, he spelled deep wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not derp? Not <laughs> he spelled This is definitely not derp. Uh save yourself the time. Not recommended. Uh Agent Cooper also rated five stars. Reusable grocery bags. Bags are great. I bought these for my wife using my Amazon account since I wanted to pay for them. She loves them, says they're great. She wrote a um, review to this effect bum, using <laughs> She wrote a review to this effect using her account since that would just kind of make sense, right? Well, Amazon didn't like this and for some reason is now taking down all of her reviews and won't let her write anymore. Needless to say, we immediately canceled the Prime membership and we'll be doing much less shopping here in the future. Jesus Christ, the same race of beans human beans one person made 2001 the other one yeah. wrote a review about <laughs> trash bags hey hey stanley do you want to include the monolith scene where people learn how to leave reviews for worthless crap and waste their entire yeah. lives no nah, i don't think so i think we can just go on to the next one <laughs> like i mean yeah. the guy like this I'm is not alone. There were a lot of critics yeah. who panned this back in the day. I know. Too, so. Oh, I know. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like seeing this in '68, I, mean, I can't imagine. But I mean, that is that is a a, a misstep in evolution. Yeah. The, the Amazon <laughs> reveal. Uh, Agent Cooper also gave five stars to Halston Cologne Spray, Studio Fifty Four, and Seventies Sex. This is really good stuff. I also received a bottle of Chanel Egoist on the same day. And I got to say that I think I like the Halston better. You could have 10 bottles of this stuff for what the Chanel cost. Go figure. This has a woody, sprucey, junipery earth smell pretty much from the top to the bottom. I never went to Studio 54 and never had sex in the 70s. I'm a child of the 80s. Much duller. But Roy Halston did a lot of both from what I hear. This is just like uh, it would have been the smell for the times. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. It smells, I, like, it smells like cocaine and poppers and <laughs> fucking sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, sorry. I wanted to I wanted to read this one. Uh, I, I forgot. Uh, just uh, Agent Cooper also gave three stars to Botany for Dummies. mislabeled biochemistry and cell biology book not for plant identification this book is all about cell biology and biochemistry with a bare minimum of botany thrown in if you want to identify plants this is not the book for you this fucking moron bought the wrong dummy book (laughs) (laughs) dummy for dummies dummy for dummies (laughs) Uh, Also, we have BK gave this film one star. Would do zero stars, and I'm not really that kind of person. Love sci-fi, and this was honestly the worst movie I've ever seen. Recommend not watching it. Waste of two and a half hours. Save yourself. I wish someone saved me. Was let down by the four and a half star 
stars by almost 4,000 reviews. Watch Interstellar instead. Mm. That's weird. I mean, Interstellar yeah. is way more, I, th- I think, I mean, maybe because I've seen 2001 probably a dozen times, but Interstellar to me is way more confusing, way more yeah. just like, like heady. It wants to be this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I like it. I liked it, by the way, but it's just like, you know, that that's less accessible. I well, think. It's also, yeah. Those movies are trying to be literal space movies about like time. I don't feel like this movie is trying to be a literal space movie. It's just no. kind of like a beautiful piece of art. That's like all it is. Also, yeah. Yeah, it used uh, to be space. Ebert wrote another piece about the movie later on uh, that I really liked reading because he in that in the piece, he, he imagines this hypothetical uh, dialogue between audience members coming out of the film who were confused. And they said, like, you know, well, how many monoliths are there? Answer as many, at least as many as you see on screen. You know, um, yeah. You know, why? Why? if Kubrick doesn't give you an answer in this movie, it's because you're, that's not an answer you need to understand the movie. It's not an important question or because the fun is not having the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people probably did get frustrated by this movie going like, well, what am I supposed to take away? What happened? Why, you know, what happened to Dave Bowman? It's like, it's all an emotional experience. Like you said, Justin, it's, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's a feeling. It's, well, I, it's not literal. Well, I also it's like poetry. Like, it rhymes. It's poetry, but also like Kubrick's movies. <laughs> and yeah. It feels like, they kind of just are what they are in the sense of like Clockwork Orange. It's kind of, the movie's kind of about like why is Alex so bad? And it's kind of like he just is. Like he just is this asshole. That's what the, that what it is. He's just yeah. an asshole. Yeah, you know, like it is what it is. I think the movies. I, I remember dealing with this a lot with uh, Inherent Vice when that came out, mm. which is a movie I love, and I, I I feel like a lot of people were like it didn't make any sense and to me. I was like, no, it actually makes kind of perfect sense it's just telling you it's giving you a different type of movie but these plot or whatever i think is pretty they explain the whole thing in the movie in mm-hmm. fact they explain it like 12 times because that that movie is essentially a, a series of uh hey you want to know what's going on but um <laughs> but it's not I, I think movies like this are not as complicated as people think they are yeah yeah I mean, uh, it, it's as complicated as you want to make it. Exactly. Just because it is yeah. show, don't tell. Yeah. Uh, I mean, inherent vice. You, you guys have seen it, right? I've seen it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-uh. Oh, no, I won't, I won't say it. I have not. Yeah. It was pretty good. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, back back to this review. But yeah, mm-hmm. Interstellar, like, it, you couldn't pick a film that uh, it was more inspired by. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, BK, who hated this movie, gave five stars to a whiteboard. BK writes, doesn't get better than this. Huge whiteboard fan here. I ordered this whiteboard because I needed it for a project I was doing while traveling. I went with the cheap option because I actually intended to leave it behind when I traveled back home. Thinking I was taking a risk with this whiteboard, I bought it and could not be more pleased. The whiteboard is higher quality than the one I spent triple the price on. It's sturdy, has all the bells and whistles. Magnetic clip tray, markers, etc. And better yet, it actually erases beautifully. This was my biggest concern, and this board is the best I've ever owned. I've had issues in the past with whiteboards being hard to erase, sometimes especially on first use, and this one does not have that problem. It even came in a very protected and sturdy packaging, and it came with extra parts for the easel. Truly, 
doesn't get better than this. Just cut to the scene of BK just kind of looking <laughs> yeah. at the whiteboard and looking at the eraser part and being like, huh? 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 <laughs> I mean, he, we're still figuring out that bone. Yeah, bum, let's just say that. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go down to Pop Corner. Ooh. Popcorn drop. Ooh, love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give this movie a popcorn. Wow. Perfect. Perfect popcorn. That's it. Just one perfect popcorn. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to give this film a sculpture of popcorn. It's got a goldish tint to it. It's not edible. It's in a museum. And I'm just I'm just staring staring at this popcorn being like should I I know it's not for eating, but I don't know what it's for other than to look at I I feel like someone smarter than me is uh gets it. But you know what? I I love it. It's pretty, and I'm going to take a picture of it. I'm going to give this... um, I'm I'm sitting at a table eating a bowl of popcorn, and I'm just sort of pensive and contemplating life and the cosmos, and I'm just slowly eating popcorn. And I look to my left, and there an older version of me is on the couch eating popcorn and he's eating it very slowly. And then that version looks up and there's just a star child version of me, or there's a star child version of a popcorn kernel just hovering (laughs) over earth. And it just is the, the popcorn kernel is looking over uh, civilization. I really, I really do think that uh, when you die, Mike, and your life flashes before your eyes, it's mostly going to be sitting on the couch watching <laughs> movies Probably. and popcorn. Probably. Uh, sadly, sadly, I think you might be right. I want to change mine to, uh, uh, I'm a child eating popcorn, and it's the best popcorn I ever ate. And I'm on a street corner, and I look across the street, and I see a... Uh, uh, like a, a 1960s like ambulance van and being wheeled into the back on a gurney with a white sheet over it is the body of a gorilla. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to give this movie a single popcorn kernel that like dominates the horizon. It's huge. <laughs> and you stare at it. Like you're trying to bend spoons with your mind. You just look at it and you burn into it until one day it finally explodes explodes and you become one with and you learn the pop secret (laughs) 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 thank you it's a solid dad joke very good very good uh well thank you so much doug uh thank you that was great a splendid guest you picked a fabulous movie Mm -hmm. uh how how can our listeners uh, support your podcast and or uh, what sort of law do you practice uh, <laughs> right, so, if they want uh, to employ so, you? If you like more of this stuff, uh, you could go to uh, a podcast, comma, but evil. 
Uh, I co-host that with uh, Dan Oster, who you had on your uh, mm-hmm. Poltergeist episode, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can go at Podcast by Evil on Twitter and, and uh, hear uh, all 35 episodes of the show we've done so far. Yeah, uh, and stuff. if you and if you want to uh, hear about the practice of law, uh, <laughs> you can find me at the law firm of Woodruff, Spradlin and Smart, where I uh, defend public agencies against all manner of tort claims. Great. Oh. So if you there are you a go. public ent- agency... <laughs> The true <laughs> monolith. If you're, if, you're, if you're a city and <laughs> for a lawyer, uh, and I know a lot of cities are listening right now. It's so. true, yeah. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're, we're very big uh, among maps. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, <laughs> thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, if you don't already, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, we could use a rating. Uh, follow us on both Instagram and uh, Twitch. And that's it. Uh, eat shit, die. Stay tuned. Bye.